Welcome to the BJ Oncology Podcast. January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month, so for this episode, we've collected the latest updates from our interviews with leading experts in cervical cancer. Let's start by hearing from Dr. Jamie Takayesu of the University of Michigan, as she explains recent research into disparities in the assessment of sexual function of men and women undergoing radiotherapy for prostate cancer or cervical cancer. We the study was done in two parts. The first part was more of a retrospective review of the patients who are seen in our clinic for brachytherapy treatment for either cervical cancer or prostate cancer. And I was really just looking at, at the time of consult, what percent of patients were being asked about their sexual function. And for men, while pretty much 90% of men are being asked about sexual function on a regular basis at the time of consult. For women, it's really only 13%. And that was a really, really big and striking disparity. And because of that, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just a finding at our institution, but also nationwide. And so we also looked at clinicaltrials.gov and trying to see all of the studies being done across the U.S. And while the disparity wasn't quite as large, it's still pretty striking the um, number of trials looking at sexual function and studying sexual function in men for, again, prostate brachytherapy is 17% versus for women, it's only 6%. So uh, a a really big difference between the two groups. I think it's going to be pretty multifaceted. I The original reason I got interested in this study was because when I had patients and women with uterine cancer and cervical cancer, I didn't feel quite as equipped to answer their questions on how their sexual function would be affected after radiation versus with men. I felt very, very comfortable having that discussion because I had it all the time. And so I think my own biases. And so I think that I'm someone who studies this subject matter, right? And I already have my own biases. So I think overcoming physician biases, having a little bit more, excuse me, education for trainees on how to discuss these things, having more trials, studying exactly what structures are involved in uh, female sexual dysfunction after brachytherapy, having better studies, trying to explain how we should treat women after they have these types of side effects. It's kind of a lot of barriers because we don't have a lot of information. And I think it's really going to be a multifaceted approach, but those are just some, some places we can start. Professor Giotti Mayadev of the University of California, San Diego, took us through the Phase 3 CALA trial, which investigated Devalumab and chemoradiotherapy for cervical cancer. Yeah, the CALA trial, um, it was remarkable in the sense it's a large, global, prospective, double-blinded, placebo-controlled, randomized trial in patients with high-risk cervical cancer. And we chose this high-risk cervical cancer subgroup because These patients really constitute an unmet medical need. They have historical recurrences of more than 50%. And so there's a high percentage in terms of desired enrollment for stage three, stage four, node positive patients, both pelvic node positive and periodic node positive. And so it it was a large global trial that took 770 patients and randomized them to the addition of Dervalumab concurrently and sequentially to chemoradiation versus chemoradiation alone. 
our findings were that, you know, number one, CALA is one of the largest global trials in cervical cancer to date. And we had more than 120 sites, over 15 countries participating. And we had a remarkable number of patients who were of Hispanic origin. So 45% from Latino, Latin America were enrolled on the CALA trial. So it's truly global and remarkable in that regard. In terms of the subset analysis, we um, looked at high-risk patients in terms of periodic node disease, pelvic node disease, uh, as well as those patients who uh, had you know, the number of cycles of chemotherapy. The majority of patients received more than four cycles of chemotherapy. Uh, 95% of patients received brachytherapy, which is almost unheard of in terms of a global response to brachytherapy. And that was really because we had a very robust radiation quality assurance and control on the CALA trial. We had a global radiation therapy steering committee. I was chair of that committee. We met regularly. We discussed the cases. We also reviewed the external beam plans. We looked at the brachytherapy plans within one week of therapy. Uh, and it was extremely robust. If a patient had a deviation in terms of the steering committee, thought that there was something that could have been improved upon for the external beam plan or brachytherapy, the site was given feedback in a timely manner. And actually, if a patient was not going to receive brachytherapy, we had to know, and myself as the, as the uh, PI on the study and the radiation study chair, uh, I actually personally contacted those sites and we were able to convert several patients back to brachytherapy. In terms of the impact of Dervalumab, we found that radiotherapy, external beam, chemotherapy, and brachytherapy were able to be given in a timely fashion as well as in, in a complete fashion. And uh, the impact of Dervalumab did not change that. Dervalumab in and of itself did not increase progression-free survivals between the arms based on subgroup analysis. So at this point, our conclusions are that high-risk, node-positive, or locally advanced cervical cancer treated with the technologically advanced chemoradiation and brachytherapy did as well as those patients who received the Dervalumab arm. So, um, you know, the CALA trial was really remarkable in terms of setting a new benchmark for global radiation therapy, quality assurance and control and technology. I will note that more than 85% of patients on this trial received IMRT and a very high percentage, more than two thirds, were treated with image-guided brachytherapy. And also within the CALA baseline characteristics, we found that the pdl one status on these patients as determined by the tumor area probability score was greater than or equal to 1% and greater than 91% of patients, greater than 5%, and about 77 to 81% of the patients based on the arm. This is very high. Again, in terms of the um, progression-free survivals, at 12 months, we found no difference in the arms uh, between the addition of dervalumab versus placebo. Dervalumab and chemoradiation had a 76% one-year progression-free survival, and the placebo arm had a 73%. At two years, 
that dropped. However, there was again, no difference. 66% in the Dravalumab arm, 62% in placebo chemo radiation arm with a p-value of 0.174, hazard ratio of 0.84. The maturity and the follow-up is about 18 months on this study with the maturity being 31%. Professor Mayadev also discussed some of the unmet needs in radiotherapy for cervical cancer. The CALA trial really showed us that with strong multidisciplinary collaboration, with extreme radiation therapy quality and oversight and the collaboration from our study sponsor, also AstraZeneca, we were able to have technological advancements and improvements among this high-risk locally advanced cervical cancer population throughout the globe. However, we also know that radiation therapy tends to not be the same standard throughout the world. And there are women with cervical cancer in low middle income countries that do not have the benefit of, for example, getting brachytherapy or having a center that can provide them with the technologically advancements in radiation therapy that is a, that has been made over the last several decades. And so over time, we need to continue to lift the bar in the world throughout uh, radiation therapy technology to make it available for women throughout the globe with high-risk cervical cancer. Cervical cancer outcomes are impressive in patients who even have no positive disease because they can have the combination of chemotherapy, radiation, and brachytherapy. And so we need to continue to emphasize that although we're still working hard to improve outcomes on patients, we need to allow all patients to have the standard of care, which includes a brachytherapy procedure. Dr. Cameron Ahmed of Moffitt Cancer Center explained interim results from a phase two trial of atezolizumab and SBRT in advanced cervical cancer. You know, there have been prior approvals of other anti-PD-1, um, PDL1 agents in the metastatic, recurrent, or persistent settings for PDL1 positive cervical cancer. And stereotactic body radiation therapy has a well-defined role in the management of oligometastatic disease. And uh, we believe that there might be a potential synergy between the receipt of stereotactic radiation therapy and the receipt of anti-PD-1, PDL1 checkpoint inhibition. Um, <clears throat> so we hypothesize that uh, treatment with the tezolizumab and SBRT would be well tolerated and potentially improve tumor control rates compared to a tezolizumab alone in the management of metastatic, recurrent, or persistent cervical cancer. Um, so this um, study was a prospective single-arm, non-randomized, open-label phase two study of, of SBRT with 24 grain three fractions. Um, to patients who have greater than or equal to two metastatic sites of cervical cancer. And then after that, they would go on to receive a teslizumab every th three weeks uh, for recurrent, persistent, or metastatic, cer metastatic cervical cancer. And the primary endpoint then was to assess the objective response rate in all treated patients. So at Astro, we are going to be presenting um, the uh, results of the first 13 patients that were enrolled on this study. Um, that comprised the pre-planned interim analysis. So at Astro, we are going to be presenting the results of the first 13 patients that were enrolled on the study, which comprised the pre-planned interim analysis for the study. And 
So in the study um, of the first 13 patients, we noted that the majority of patients had adenocarcinoma and the majority of patients had um, two or more um, previous lines of systemic therapy. And within a follow-up period of 18 months in the first 13 patients, we noted that the median progression-free survival in all patients was 4.5 months with a median overall survival of 11 months and a six-month overall survival rate of 84%. <clears throat> in terms of overall and objective responses noted by our IR resist criteria, we noted that there were three overall responses in the first 13 patients and two objective responses that were noted, um, after which noting the two responses that were uh, noted in the first 13 patients, we met the pre-planned uh, interim analysis criteria to move on to the second stage of the um, study design, which would enroll an additional 13 patients. That's all for this episode. We have loads more interviews from experts in cervical cancer and beyond on vjoncology.com, so why not explore? If you enjoyed this podcast, then you can subscribe on your favourite podcast app, including Spotify and Apple, to make sure that you don't miss an episode. And follow us on Twitter for all the latest updates in oncology. Stay tuned for more podcasts covering the latest updates in cervical cancer and more with VJ Oncology.